Dotnet Rocks episode 718 with guests Brian Noyes, Michelle Larubustamante, Brian Price, and Scott Seeley. Recorded live Wednesday, November 2nd, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much and welcome back to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here with a great panel discussion in just a few minutes. We're in uh, post-conference season now, so we got a lot of great content that we got at Dev Connections and OrDev that we're going to share with you, including this excellent panel on on the cloud. Uh, but first, I need to tell you that Pluralsight.com is where you can watch 200 minutes of free developer training given by MVPs, RDs, and other industry experts. You can expect 8 to 10 new courses every month added to their library of over 180 hardcore developer training courses, including cloud stuff like Matt Milner's Introduction to Windows Azure and Windows Azure Fundamentals and Scott Seeley's SQL Azure and Windows Azure App Fabric courses. In addition, their Fundamentals classes in C-Sharp taught by Scott Allen, VB.net by Rob Windsor, C++ by Kate Gregory, and JavaScript by Liam McLennan. After your free 200 minutes are up, it's only 30 bucks a month. And Pluralsight is proud to support .NET Rocks. All right, now let's get to the panel. Hey, welcome to the Azure panel. Is it Azure or just cloud? Cloud, I thought. Oh. Or Azure. Or Windows Azure, Azure if you're a marketing person. It's the cloud panel. It's the panel in the cloud. Brian, are we allowed to talk about other things? I don't care what you're talking about. I'm just about. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm briefly... the opportunity to respond. So that gonna, doesn't mean we'll listen. I'm going to ask the panelists to briefly introduce themselves and tell us why they're here, and then we'll get to it. Scott? So, Scott Seeley. I am a kind of systems MVP. I'm doing a lot of work on cloud education for Pluralsight and working on a fairly large project right now for Azure as well. Great. Brian Noyes for my design. I'm uh, here because I saw my name on the schedule, and that uh, <laughs> supposed to be. Here. I think I can spell driven. cloud. He could spell cloud. <laughs> nice, awesome. Michelle Larubustamante. I design, among other things, and uh, doing a lot of cloud development and architecture for customers, and uh, working on a startup that's uh, hosted in Azure. Awesome. I'm Richard Campbell. I do uh, Dot and Ross, Red Hat Radio, and a number of other things. But every so often, I get to do real consulting. And when I do real consulting, it ends up being about cloud infrastructure-related stuff. So, got a few projects under my belt, then uh, you know, kicked around, and uh, happy to talk. Fabulous, Brian. I work for Microsoft. Brian Prince. I'm the principal cloud evangelist. So I work with customers and go to events. And principal cloud evangelist. The only principal. one with cloud in his title. Ooh. There you go. Mm -hmm. wow. Technically, it's principal developer evangelist, but I only do cloud technologies. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. He made that title. Uh, I did. We are allowed to do that. <laughs> well, so where do we start? What does the uh, cloud ecosystem look like since the last time we were here? Um, S3 gave us the start in cloud. Windows Azure came next. Are there any other major players in the cloud space that we should be... What about, you know, when I, we ever go to Logan Airport in Boston and they have some company logo up there, and I can't remember who they are, EMC Squared maybe? Uh, is EMC? That 
EMC. Yeah, they're the sand. The vendor. storage guys. Right. And they're all about cloud. Cloud, well, cloud, cloud. cloud in their yes. title now just because that's kind of a... That's right. It's like it's using buzzword. SOA back in the day. And so are there yeah. companies that are emerging that sell cloud services that don't have their own cloud infrastructure? They're, they're on the back of Amazon and on sure. the back of Azure? Well iCloud from Apple, for starters, mm-hmm. okay. actually running on EC2. And it's actually and, and, Azure. and Windows Azure. And Azure. They're, they're, oh, yes. they're mixing it up until they have their own actual iCloud infrastructure, which is, I think, where yeah. they're going to head, right? That's be- so, of course. You know why are. that is? That they're, they're hedging themselves. So when the iCloud comes and strikes and we have hurricanes that uh, knock out one of the data centers, <laughs> that the other one will still be running. Be a backup. I don't think you're supposed to say that out loud. That's not cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid I just did. Your yeah. iPhone will not crash. <laughs> There's downtime with the cloud? Yeah, I want to tell you a story about downtime with the cloud. So .NET Rocks, uh, our podcast, we've been hosting our own websites and databases for forever. And uh, we decided after the fourth power outage at the data center that across the hall from me where it's hosted, I'm like, you know, that's it. I'm moving this website and the database to the cloud. So the first thing I did was I moved the SQL Server to SQL Azure. And I used the SQL migration tool from Microsoft, and it just worked. And I ran the wizard, and I had a few warnings that I didn't really have to worry about because everything worked. It was amazing. I changed the the connection string and the web config, and it worked for a couple of weeks. And then it went down for like five or ten minutes. And I get an alert that tells me on my cell phone, hey, everything's down. Oh, sure enough, there was no database access for 10 minutes. In the years, however many years, how many years we've been doing Eight years? Two, nine? Nine, nine yeah. years? In the nine years, my SQL server has only gone down when I said, go down and come back. And we had an outage in, in SQL Azure in the first two weeks. Why? I have no idea. No I, Nobody tells you. I didn't get an email. They're allowed, so point from the audience, they're allowed to be down 36 hours out of the month. Right. All right, so that's hardly five, five, service level agreement. Nine, right? That's hardly five nines of reliability. They yeah. don't promise five nines. It's no. three nines. No cloud vendor will promise five nines no. because that's five minutes a year. It's insane. They're well, not going to do that. You can't, the internet's not that reliable. Yeah. And last time I looked, it's pretty hard to get to the cloud without going over the internet. I thought exactly. the whole reason you would move to the cloud, a database, is so that it will be always available and you don't have to worry about the infrastructure. No. No, no, it's when it's up, now the, highly the, available. It's so you don't have to manage the process of keeping yeah. it available. And because or, it's, you know, a vendor that has obviously a lot of liability and they're providing services to so many hundreds and thousands of companies. And well, that's a fine, how do you do now? <laughs> so, so you will find these t-shirts in marketplaces within the year. The cloud does not fix stupid. So... <laughs> And this goes to all the people that were affected by by Amazon's outage, which I I wouldn't wish on any vendor. You 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 can't just put something in the cloud and it will just be bulletproof, right? Right. Uh, you still have to architect for scale and for resiliency and reliability if that's what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, some platforms make that easier than others, maybe, but. And you still have to well, monitor it, right? Like, so yeah. you were obviously monitoring it. You got an alert, right? Mm-hmm. You set that up. But I think at the end of the day, you know, and, and I talk about this a lot just in general around repurposing your IT resources. If you had to set all this up yourself, and I've been through this firsthand, 
where we had to do all the infrastructure, we had to prove to customers we could be reliable, we had to set up the SLAs and say how many nines we gave you. Um, I think we even promised more nines than Microsoft does and Amazon does, but you know maybe we were dumb, I don't know. Um, and we had to look for no single point of failure, and we had to make sure we had failover and explain how everything worked, right? And it's a lot of work to set all that up and have that hanging over your IT group. Let me tell you something, it makes board of directors nervous, it makes the executive team nervous, it makes the CIO whose ass is on the line, thank you very much, nervous. And I'd much rather put that with a cloud vendor and have my IT people, now one really strong person, could actually manage the whole vendor, the whole deployment, the whole setting up of alerts and monitoring, and actually do a better job at that because they're not having to do all that other crap. And, you know, yes, there's still potential for things to go down, but it's no more or less than it could be if I had to manage it myself. Well, I think what you've done is you've shifted responsibility. Yes. It's yes. no longer your fault it's down, it's Microsoft. Well, well and you, you have a... You have more time to monitor and monitor well. You have more time to set up, do we have a single point of failure? You have more time to focus on actually doing a backup and recovery and getting it done, which maybe you don't have time to do when you first go live because you're so busy setting up the damn infrastructure, right? It's just it's a pain in the butt. But there is a responsibility there. You know, part of the, what I took out of the, the Amazon outage and reading about it was that a lot of people went into it with this mentality of it's cloud or no cloud. There's just an on switch. And, and you know, and they don't actually look at all the radio buttons and things when they're configuring their, you know, their, their account to say, what exactly am I signing up for? What am I paying for in terms of redundancy, failovers, geographic distribution, and so on? Well, so, yeah. You know, they should be spending that time they're saving by not setting up their infrastructure, by understanding the options they're signing up for from their cloud provider. Or, as a startup that has very little resources, right, I'm comfortable as somebody building startup code saying, look, I don't have an IT person yet, but I've got a couple of awesome developers. We can put that stuff in the cloud. We can trust for the most part, that it's going to be done right. Yeah. Something could happen, but I only have two users in my first, like, six months anyway. So, like, let's just get it up there, and thankfully I don't need my whole team in, in place before I have funding or, or whatever, yeah. right? So you're talking about but DevOps. then later you evolve, and, and you hire the right person, oh. and you have that one person. I want to get back to this two to three nines of reliability, which obviously I didn't know about, and, you know, moving to the cloud, I should have done my research, but... Richard, you have done this, I know, and maybe you guys have too, mm -hmm. set up failover SQL servers so yep. that when one fails, the other takes... Is there any excuse for this in, in, in SQL Azure not being able to handle a failure? Well, and the question is, was it actually a failure? Right? You said they, they only guaranteed you know, less than 36 hours but of downtime. Why in a is month. that when we have the technology to handle failover and these are supposedly bazillion dollar data centers well, I, all over the world, state of the art? But a cold backup can require many hours, right? So, I mean, we don't know maybe in the early days of, of SQL when, when was hosting this? if maybe that was something Month, that they Months ago. Huh? Months ago versus two years ago? Yeah, yeah, it was not two years ago. It was months ago. It was probably a bandwidth issue or a network issue. You, oh, you determined that. I, I'm just guessing. You're searing insight into <laughs> well, the problem. I, being being part of my job, I, <laughs> there are you RSS feeds for each service for each data center that you can subscribe to, and they will notify you when there is, and you see the actual support ticket data that the engineer is typing in when he's trying to fix it. And I read most of those, at least for Europe and North America. And a lot of the times when there are issues, it's intermittent, usually a network routing issue between us and the rest of the internet, uh, a peering issue, things like that. I mean, 
I have built, you know, five nines reliable systems. And what you planned for is cast runoff outage, right? The, there's a hole in the ground where the building used to be. Right. I got that nail. Yeah. The hardest thing in the world to deal with is a flaky nail. Because sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the really interesting thing is you've, if you've never done like failover SQL server mm-hmm. is when SQL server fails over, it just tells you it did. It doesn't tell you why. It doesn't warn you it's going up. It just says, by the way, we're running on a different server now. Thought you'd like to know. But SQL Azure isn't SQL Server, is it? Well, it, it is. It runs SQL Server at the well, core, but it doesn't use uh, well, that technology for failover or right, for replication. Right. The hot yeah. failover solution is a different yeah. thing. It's, yeah. But it, I have, I've done it all right and still had an unreliable system. Right. Because when stuff just fails, you're fine. You know what to do. It's when stuff goes weird. Right? right, stuff right, and then you know, exactly what you're describing. A router's grumpy today, <laughs> right? And sometimes it's it's decided I'm going to throw away every third packet. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And half the time well, it's not a big deal, but it's like stuff's unreliable. A bad nick can ruin your day. Yeah. Well, and, the other thing that could have happened too is depending on how, if you didn't alter your program code, you just had a, you knew it worked on your local system, then you put your database string somewhere else. The other thing you have to worry about with Azure, with SQL Azure, or with anything that's doing failover, is that um, SQL Azure warns you that, hey, sometimes we're going to throw down the connection string and terminate your connection, so your connection pool might have taken five to ten minutes to switch over if you had long-lived connections as well. Well, and you, I mean, to your point, Scott, no seamless failover works without code, right? When a clustered SQL server fails, all the connections get tossed away, right? And the new server stands itself up. It gets control of the database. And it gets, it has to do a whole series of checks. It's two minutes. What does your app do in those two minutes? Mm. Right? It has to go, hey, we just lost all our connections. That's not good. Right? And if it tries to reestablish them, which is what you'd think it would do, right? I'll try and reestablish. It'll fail. Because new server's busy for a couple of minutes. It's still the same IP address as part of the same cluster. But it's not willing to take connections right now. So there's time that goes by. You have to write code that absorbs that delay and retries the queries. There's okay. just no way around it. Or and have a cache or, you know, some other mechanism that can give you a buffer. There's a process of how do you absorb those couple of minutes. And right. if th- technically, if that only happens once a month, I'm still delivering five nines to you, right? Or once well, a year. No, five nines is five, five nines minutes. is five minutes it's a year, much. right? Yeah. So a two minute failover still falls into five nines. Right. You get a, one of those a year. And Maybe. I've written SLAs where when we had to do all the infrastructure ourselves, obviously not me, I'm not, you know, the guy that does your job, but I had to know how do we fail over and, you know, every single point in the system, the routers, the, you know, uh, like every, every machine, all the databases, everything had about less than two minutes. It's like what you said yep. that had automatic cluster failover. And that's about the standard time frame. This portion of.NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, 
to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. If this is uh, something that we are concerned about, is this, and I gave you the flip reason about iCloud, but do you think this is one of the reasons why they're using both? Who, maybe, who cares about them? What about us? Can we uh, code and architect using the cloud for failover when one fails? Can we do that? Yeah. Yes. I think, and I think you have to. Yeah. But here's the thing. you got to ask yourself sim- how important that is. Like, so Where are the consequences of downtime? Right. What, what you said before, you said you had it running yeah. on your own machines yeah. and it never went down. And well, it went lucky. down when I told it to go down. Right. But you were lucky. Yeah. And I know companies that literally have single point of failure, one set of servers. It's actually at the office hosted and they've had apps running and they're making money. Yeah. And you know what? It's never gone down or it's never been a problem unless they told it to go down. Right. And then there's others that would try to do that and fail miserably and others that would need to scale up and wouldn't know how and so on. So okay. you can get lucky. I could host something on my machine at home and get a static IP and be lucky mm-hmm. okay. or not. But do I have the time to manage that, right? So by putting it in the cloud, you're not guaranteeing that you won't run into the same issues you could have. Well, let's you're guaranteeing talk- that you don't have to manage it okay. and someone else is going to be on the ball. So let's talk about strategies for for doing that. If I've got um, a database in Amazon and I've got a database in SQL Azure, let's say, and I've got, you know, I can notice that one has gone down. I go to the other one. How does my data synchronize between those two things? You write code. Is it? Yeah. Has, has, anyone, has anyone done that? Yeah. Has anyone sure. done yeah. that? To synchronize two databases. Synchronize two cloud databases? The SQL Sync service. With what? A SQL Sync service. Like that's a, two SQLs. That's not going... A, a well, so the SQL Sync service, they'll, they'll go between two of those. You can right. also use a synchronization um, APIs and then have C-sharp code that actually says synchronize these two tables right. with these two connection strings. Okay, so What's the, the overhead of that? Is it going to kill the performance of your system to do that during peak hours? Do you need to find mm-hmm. off hours to do it? How long does it take? So it depends. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that then you have to look at your strategy. Say that. No, it, it always depends, right? Because you have right. to f- make sure that you know if you do the dumbest code possible, it's going to be bad. Which um, is why everybody's got to test their own implementation of that type of thing mm-hmm. and see what the impact is, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you, you can't get away from it. You can't say, "Okay, I know this is going to work for you." You can say, "I think this will work, but we better try it." Right, and the thing is that during your peak hours, or a lot of times, especially if you're doing like a, a sales application, then what's going to happen is your indices are always going to be busy with the inserts, which means, but your indices are also probably going to be the things that you do querying off of to make sure you haven't replicated them yet. So it can get nasty. Okay. So you probably so, don't replicate during that period of time. So to your scenario, maybe not two different cloud vendors, but definitely two different data centers within the same cloud vendor for performance, network right. performance reasons. Right, right. And does SQL Azure have a replication? Services built in? Not data center to data center today. You would still use uh, their SQL Azure Sync that's built on the .NET Sync framework that will do that for you. It's a configuration okay. that will sync those those what would be together. your recommended way to A, back up SQL Azure so that you have a copy of your data somewhere else, and B, do the sync? Because there are like import-export, there's BCP, there's there's synchronization. Yeah. What, what do you recommend is the best way with the lowest impact runtime 
you know, performance. Well, I, I mean, I'm not a, a SQL engineer, but I know SQL ninjas really like BCP, but you have to tune it because of the connection and timeout rules that SQL Azure has that is different from SQL Server. Mm. Well, BCP could bury a server. Yeah, yeah. Is that different than doing replay logs? Like well, you, don't you don't get replay logs in SQL Azure, right? You don't get that, no. no. I'd love to have so, log shipping on it. Yeah, I, right now you're going to get import-export, mm-hmm. which you can script. You can do create database, create copy of a database, mm-hmm. which gives you a transactionally consistent copy of your database when the copy is completed. Uh, we'll be doing uh, supporting backpacks, which is uh, a way to, to move your data and your schema around. But what's do you know the performance? I mean, in terms of which would be the best thing to do while you're live and you have a system running. Uh, like I have an ISV running. vendor that has a pretty large database, and they do when they do de- their weekly deployment because they run Agile. They have a script that they have a rolling set of cop- backup copies of their database. So they they delete the oldest database copy. They create a new copy, uh, all with that script. They have a forty forty gig database. It takes minutes. And it's is using it, BCP? No, they're using the actual, there are SQL extensions where you, when you create a database, it could be a copy of a database. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're is not it, using is BCP. it crazy to suggest that in your data layer, in your data access layer where you're making the calls to SQL Azure, that you do it twice? And you make two calls, one to one database, one to oh. another? And I don't mean yeah. for querying, I'm talking about for... For your rights? For your rights. Yeah, but if you were really engineering from scratch versus migrating, I think those are two different answers. If I was engineering from scratch and I was concerned about that, I'd probably use a CQRS pattern. A CQRS pattern? Yeah, where my my commands are going into a queue, and then maybe I have two like jobs. Like Locad? Locad has something for that, right? What is, what yeah. is, can you yeah. define that? What does that stand for? Oh, gosh. Command, I forget, command queue response. I, yeah, this is uh, Udi Dehan's thing, okay. CQRS. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. That's right. But it, but you, you bring up the valid point, which is, I want a separate data source that has data up to date, but it doesn't have to be updated at that moment. Right. right. There's two ways for me to go. This it I can, can create, create a double transaction, so I have to wait for both databases to write. Yeah. That slows everything down, but absolutely synchronous. Right. Or I push it to a queue. Right. And two different data sources pick it up. Yeah. Right? And so they're both going to get it eventually. Eventually being in milliseconds, yeah. but not synchronous. And I don't have to wait. Right. And that, that's sort of my trade, right? That I, right. Mm-hmm. Queuing is very compelling in the sense that, yeah, I get that choice that I could actually But you need it to way. be durable, absolutely guaranteed delivery. So you can't yeah. use uh, any of the cloud queues right now. You need an MSM queue. Yeah, you need a real queue. On, on premise or something. Yeah, you're, you're, and then you got to manage the whole poison queue, and you got to manage the whole time to live. Well, you could do that sure with Azure storage queues or with the service bus queues, mm-hmm. but you do have to manage poison no, messages. No, yeah, because, well, they don't have the durability, though. Yes, they do. Oh, the new mm-hmm. one? Oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't looked at that yet. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. And then it's fully transacted? Yeah. It's, yes. It's, um, the, the service bus queues support queues transactions as well. So you can, if you open a local transaction, it sends a message saying begin transaction, stuff the message in, say end transaction, it sends a message that the transaction has been completed. The transaction completes, the message is then persisted to the queue okay. and made available for delivery. But it's never deleted. There's no garbage collection after a week or anything. Oh, like yeah, 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 there is. But see, that's not... No, in service bus queues, yeah. you can make that... be absolutely guaranteed um, to make that... That expiration... That's super, what I'm talking about. You can make that expiration super long in the service bus queues. Right. 
Yeah, yeah, but see, with MSMQ, you didn't, you know, like there's a guarantee that it's going to go either in my dead letter or my poison. Well, there's still default timeouts there, so, too. No, but yeah. they don't disappear. The message never true, disappears. True, true. Well, so there's, there's, there's still the dead letter queue, though, as well. Okay, so it never disappears. It's yeah, very Jerry tried. Springer, isn't it? It's a fine Let me get my chair. Yeah, yeah so never is never a long is time. Right? If I want to never lose a message, then I need to know it never gets deleted. And if it's going to possibly be deleted, then I need yes. to have compensating measures. It doesn't mean it's not going to be useful. It of just course. Means i got to write the code. But the pattern that we're talking about here, though, is also trying to make sure that the SQL data that you have is available to data centers, not that it was reliably written, because we still have a situation in Azure where it goes out to a, um, three different servers, actually, and then as soon as a quorum commits, then the transaction completes. And then you got a guarantee right. so still order. Still, the double commit issue. Wow. Going on. Right. Actually, okay. you got a guarantee order, and you can't with Q. So I think what I'm hearing is so it's problem. pretty damn complex. Yep. Yes. But the good news, though, is that it's complex enough that, as uh, Michelle was saying earlier, if you're not a if you're a shop that that DR still scares you, they are way further ahead of you. Okay. Than you are. So so Brian, what uh, can you tell us about the future? of uh, SQL Azure in terms of these kinds of features. And uh, for that matter, am I the only one that's really concerned about 5.9's reliability, or do you have customers that, that that's a deal breaker for the cloud? No, well, to answer your second question first, okay. I, um, just like security, it comes down to what is your tolerance for risk. And I have small e-commerce customers that they go down to one web server at night, which is below our SLA. Mm -hmm. And they don't care because if the server dies, it'll come back online in 15 minutes anyway. Yeah. And no one's buying stupid t-shirts at four in the morning. Right. Um, or at least they're not willing, they're willing to wait. Yeah. But, um, so some of the announcements we had at SQL Pass were, we're raising the size of SQL Azure databases to 150 gigs. It's very exciting. The biggest reason for that limit has to do with how quickly can we rebuild your database from one of the replicas and stay within our SLA. Okay. And as we get better at doing that, the bigger that number gets. Um, we've announced uh, SQL, Feder uh, SQL Azure Federations, which we will, um, with a little bit of work on your part, it's not purely unicorn driven, but so you do have to do a little bit of work. You'll be able to uh, shard your database magically. So you can say, you know what, instead of having one giant database, because relational databases break down after, after a certain size, please break them into uh, 10 gig size databases and all customers that start with A will be in this database and all customers that start with B will be in this database. Right. But you declare the part. You declare the federation key. Yeah, we should talk that. about that, SQL, no SQL, because that's just such a huge topic right now it with is, Hadoop, yeah. with with actually in general, forget mm -hmm. about even the, the petabyte, right? Yeah. But yeah, let's, could you have an opinion about that? Yeah, I think, um, it's not either or. I think it's both. I think you use critical thought as a developer to decide what your data model requires. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's relational and sometimes that's not. Sometimes scale is more important than relation. And you can, you know, on the Azure platform, at least you would pick between SQL Azure or Azure tables. Right? But I want to know what the performance metrics are for a pure, there are purists that believe that NoSQL can do just as well as SQL relational. Azure and Tables blows the doors off the of SQL Azure performance-wise. Right, so mm -hmm. that's what I want to know is, you know, I don't think anyone has given me an adequate 
explanation yet as a non-database expert, okay? I mean, I can design tables like the next guy, mm -hmm. but I'm not an indexing expert. I'm not a metrics well, performance. I hire people that do that stuff. I don't... I think know, the real that. line, though, is that everything out there is pretty fast as it is. Mm -hmm. um, what I've been using as a guideline is if I need relational integrity, I go SQL. If I'm, if I'm querying primarily, like I'm, I'm looking at, let's say that all the orders that I look at, I don't really give a rip about the line items. I just want the order itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll store the order as a document. What, what are, what are you seeing? I don't know if you can, you know, cite numbers or percentages or anything like that, but in terms of the customers you deal with, how many are going more table storage instead of SQL Azure? Well, like these guys, if they're migrating, they usually go to SQL Azure. Because there's a That's wizard, and it's easy. I have a SQL database already. already. Have, I don't have to change all my yeah. code. But yeah. if they're going from scratch, it's usually tables only or a hybrid. <laughs> I want to know how you structure a, a tables only, you know, approach for a one to many that makes that efficient. So let me give you a simple example that maybe could could help get to an answer. Mm -hmm. Let's say I've got a user table and a user has one or more profiles. It's a one-to-many. It's a simple one-to-many. It's so like a parent-child. Right. It's so mm -hmm. like a parent-child. So am I storing, you know, I'm obviously going to have the row is very long and it's going to have fields for user and fields for profile. So let's say a simple example. Username, password is the user part and then a unique ID for the row, which is my user ID. Mm -hmm. And then I've got profile as a another row. So mm -hmm. the unique ID would be the profile. That would be the row key. Yep. And then I've got an email address. And then I've got a user ID field. So they both have user ID field and profile ID field. And then they've got these different fields. And am I putting those in two separate rows? And can I do a query on all the things that have the same user ID? And is that going to be efficient? It's not an index and it's not a row key. Is that going to suck? Um, so you would what you would do is you would mingle those records in there. Or entities in there, but they would be separate rows. Yeah, each of their own different entity. fields. Right. Think of it just like the objects in in C sharp. Right? right. Each of those objects become an entity in your table. Exactly. Yeah. And your your prime your partition key. Each entity has to have a partition key and a yeah. row key. So the partition key would probably be the user ID. So I can say, get me all the records that have to do with Brian Prince. But that would mean the partition. If I wanted all users, I have to go to different partitions. So that's going to suck. Yeah, but generally speaking, the architecture of your table is driven by uh, the query plan that you expect. Yeah, and, I, and I would argue that the partitioning is a strength because it allows multiple threads to execute across those partitions to fetch the unique data within each one of them, and then you do a consolidation afterwards. That's how you do it right in a, in a nutshell. Of course, okay. So what you're saying is that it's okay to have smaller partitions. I would. I usually on... lean towards many, many small partitions okay. versus large partitions because of the... When you come to my session tomorrow at 9.30, you'll understand why. Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I go back to my second question, which was, um, do you have customers that... It's uh, where it's a, the five nines of reliability is a deal breaker. You basically said, I have a customer where it isn't a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. But do you have oh. customers that have gone the other way? Yeah. Uh, so really the first rule of cloud computing is not everything should be in the cloud. Right. There are things that should be in the cloud. And there are things that should not be in the cloud. And more often than not, it's actually both. There are th 
like the application you had. You still had your app on your own server, yeah. and the data was in the cloud, and that, right. for most of the time, worked for you. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really that, you know, we don't have, yeah. we're not, like, taking a patient's vital signs during surgery, then if it goes down, he's dead. Yeah. No, it's Our not, it's, consequences it's a down podcast, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I am, I'm just concerned about some of those mission-critical... Yeah, it's, because uh, you don't. If it's that. mission critical, I wouldn't. Gosh, the SQL guys are gonna kill me. But if it <laughs> if it's like, you, if you truly need five nines, I probably wouldn't necessarily look at SQL Azure. Well, obviously, SQL Azure does not offer five nines. Doesn't Correct. offer. Yeah. It's pretty. As an IT guy, it is pretty simple. When I yeah. actually write that SLA, and I and let me tell you, there are very few projects I've ever worked on where you really justified it. Okay, five nine. Because you're gonna pay for it. It's that. easy because it's not I was free. Just gonna yeah. say that. It's I think not, it's it is incredibly right? expensive. Right. There so are. when you actually lay that math down and you put it in front of the CEO and go, this is how much five nines actually cost, okay. often they step back and go, you know, three nines not that big a deal. <laughs> and it's, it's usually a two-comma answer. It's a two-comma number. It is a non-trivial. I am building you symmetrical data centers in different countries. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I'll do it. It's your money. Yeah. Okay. But it ain't free. And and that's that. this is the thing is... It's, too often, we have the conversation about reliability right after the crash, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's like going to the grocery store hungry. You, <laughs> you make bad choices. You buy Pop-Tarts, right? Like, that's what happened. When do we have these conversations, right? Honey, why'd you buy a case of M&M's? Yeah. You for? have these conversations <laughs> after the deadly weekend, and we talk about how we're going to redo architecture, and we're abnormally sensitized and Mm -hmm. you know as the consultant i'm all over it i can build it for you i get a percentage right i'm pretty excited about that really (laughs) my kids are going to college okay (laughs) when we finish the number decisions change right you you know cooler heads prevail when we actually do the exercise of what it really means to deliver less than five minutes a year in downtime. It's a big frickin' deal. And tell me you're going to do that yourself with your own income on your own property with your own colo facility yeah, with quick the staffing point. to Very manage good that. Right. It's ridiculous. It quickly goes, skills too, when we're talking about laying fiber optic cables 10 kilometers between buildings, like this yeah. is the kind of money we have to spend to actually deliver that. Right. And so fairly quickly, the reality dies. When when people are hungry, food is what it matters. When right. people have just gone through a crash, reliability is what matters. It's an ivory tower demand yep. that tends to come from the teams that don't understand either A, the costs involved, or B, the actual work. And honestly, if a cloud vendor offered me five nines, I know they're lying. Yeah. Mm. Right? Like, you can't sell me that. You don't have it. Right? You are living on the internet. The internet's not five nines. True. Right? It's about lease line. You're right. It's about dedicated wires when we get to that delivery level. So we back off. Right? Okay. Start accepting the reality. I'm totally satisfied with the answers. (laughs) (laughs) Totally satisfied. We aim for your mere satisfaction. My expectations are lower. Thank you. You were very intense about that. I I, I think you you had some pain going on there. No, no, not at all. Expectation therapy. I just wondered, you know, if that was a common thing. And apparently it is. So. Yeah, and I don't think five nines is necessarily uh, the dream of five nines. Isn't the killer use case for using the cloud. Sure. It's no, absolutely. Flexibility, it's dynamicism, it's absolutely. shared resources. I, I, I would offer that the cloud's bit, there are many other centers to the cloud, but past reliability is, don't lose my data. 
I can stand being down. Ah. Don't tell me my customer database is gone. No, but you know what? Don't tell me you're trusting the cloud vendor alone for that. That's just not going to happen either. I'm going to do that as a startup when I first go live because I can. But let me tell you, pretty soon after, especially as my customer base increases, I better have a copy of that stuff. And even if it costs me money... To back up all that media my customers have uploaded, if they, if something happened, God forbid, and mm-hmm. we hope it never does, with Amazon or Microsoft, and they actually lose some of my customer content or all of it, I'm screwed. My business is gone. I'm like broke. I knew so, we shouldn't. And have my built, kids aren't going to college. I knew you know we saying? shouldn't have built that data center in Fukushima, Japan. I knew. <laughs> and, and you so joke, you but I had a customer data. in that boat. Yeah. Really? 90, 90 gigs of data just a few miles from the reactor, and they were FTPing it. And I'm like, oh. guys, you can go buy a hard drive and transfer and physically move that data. Even if it's stale by a, a week, it's still better than, you know. Not well, it's just like, it's too much right? data, right? Yeah. 90 gigs is a lot. Yeah. It's physically yeah. hard to FedEx move would be fast. FedEx yeah. is faster. <laughs> yeah. FedEx was two days and FTP was six days, right? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's a lot of data. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what you get up against is those kinds of problems. You could see that being a service though, right? Like I, I could imagine, uh, I don't know if Microsoft's planning to do this or other vendors that, you know, have backup in the cloud to table blob storage of your SQL Azure data or whatnot. You know, I pay money for having them send me a copy of that data. And then my job is to see if I can recover with it to some like local yeah. or development. I'd server. almost think that like Amazon, I know Amazon it goes the other way. I, I know Amazon will take a hard disk yeah. and deploy it. I, right. And you ask them for right. a hard disk and come back down. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, you get to the sale, the real issue of when he's like, okay, you know, I need to protect my data is, well, how frequently? What right. is your tolerance of loss? Well, if you ask your customers, they're going to say none, right? right? But, but none is ask, a two common right, number. Right. But if you know you're triple replicated in the cloud, then you could probably do a little bit of a, you know, probably this isn't going to happen. So how about once a week we get a copy of the data right. and that's our but, cost. But, the, or, but the way you yeah. measure that is what is the cost of losing a week's worth of data right? versus the cost of maintaining it at a higher resolution? Right. Yeah. And well, the cost is whatever happens to your business, right? I mean, if, if you're going to go out of business because of a week, then I guess a week's too long. Right. But if you're just so, going to have some unhappy customers that you owe some compensating measure to, then maybe it's worth the risk because you got triple replication and it shouldn't. But the, but the reality isn't that I found, like, one of my clients, their issue wasn't so much that they needed, like, they needed the VR site, they needed everything else. They set up a microwave link in between two sites so it would go fast enough. But their big issue wasn't losing the connectivity, it was losing the data. Right. And they could tolerate a 15-minute downtime where they couldn't receive orders, so long as they didn't lose any orders. Right. Yeah. Right. right. And they can use a queue for that. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Grape City. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Boss comes and says, sales are up this week. I'm taking everybody out to lunch. Awesome. Next day, Uh, we're taking a loss. What happened? Well, you're a developer. You can create a report. So you go to your boss and say, okay, what should I report on? And they have no idea. Well, here's the good news. Active analysis from Grape City Power Tools empowers your boss, the money guys, so they can find the answers to their own questions. And the best part is, it's a control. Completely self-contained BI. Using a drag-and-drop interface... Users can easily discover trends in the data, and more importantly, the deviations from those trends, 
through its powerful graphical analysis capabilities. Development against the control is easy. All you have to do is provide the data. Active analysis will take care of the aggregation, grouping, filtering, and sorting for the user. Of course, it offers programmatic control of all these operations, too. So if you want more company lunches, do your boss a favor. Use active analysis. For a free evaluation, please go to gcpowertools.com slash analysis. And don't forget to thank Grape City for being a great sponsor of .NET Rocks. So I guess what I'm saying is, if you don't need 5.9's reliability, is the cloud worth it? Yes. Sounds like yes. Well, it sounds like also, you know, nobody really, really, truly can have 5.9's reliability no matter what they do. So, but, you know, I have some interesting, you know, people that I've worked with in the past year where it goes all the way from startups, which is an obvious easy thing to do, right? I mean, no infrastructure, initial cost. But um, I know of a couple of really big companies right now that we're working with that are putting literally their entire... They've got a path for the next year to put literally everything they're doing, security, infrastructure, the whole bit in the cloud. Literally, they're going to pay a million a year to host that. Tell me that's not a great contract mm. to win. I mean, it's just phenomenal. You. But what was it costing them to run a data center before that? I'm sure it's costing them a lot, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not saying that they're paying more money. I'm saying it's expensive to run that infrastructure, mm-hmm. and they're deciding, I don't want to have the IT people managing this right. crap. That's not our core business. Right. I mean, we're well, in the oil you, business or whatever it is, and, you know, let's just get that stuff given to well, some you get into the reality, which is that actually owning reliable infrastructure is hard, mm-hmm. yes. and having somebody else own that for you is pretty compelling. And right. the only well, guy who knows focused. how to fix it is sick, and guess what? You're, yeah. We're still oh, yeah. down. We're down. Absolutely. Well, yeah. we've been focused on storage this entire discussion, but That's obviously right. there's a lot more to it than just the storage. Absolutely. Right. You know, the, the service hosting and the, the web and worker roles, you know, are something that, especially when you start to compare and contrast Azure versus Amazon offerings is, you know, somewhere that there's a bigger story there as far as Azure with the service bus and access control services and stuff. You know, it's a more complete cloud offering to to do that kind of thing, to move it all into the cloud. Oh, I don't know if that's absolutely true for this particular customer because they're more worried about, we've already got the VMs. We know what we want to put on the VMs. We need to pre-deploy all that stuff. So they'll probably put pieces of it in Amazon and pieces of it in Azure. I see. But, but the point is that they don't want to manage any of that infrastructure and they're willing to do it to the point of realizing the ROI is worth about a million a year, which is to me, it is a phenomenal number, but it's a gigantic company, right? So it just shows you people are doing this, right? Like it is happening. Maybe not everybody's ready though, right? Like that's, it's, it's evolving. For very, so. I mean, once you're spending two common numbers on your IT infrastructure anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's you really think about a problem differently. A million a year is really about eight people, you know, eight, yeah, eight, eight to ten cost, IT right? people. Yeah, yeah right, you you're, know? you're paying like 200000 plus probably for like your top-notch absolute rock, right. you know, like uh, IT operations people. Right. And you, you got five of those? That's, and, that's just wages. You know, and right? that's just wages. That's yeah. not licenses. Run the infrastructure. Run the, the, the hardware. connectivity. Run, it, it's a lot of stuff, especially when we get to high reliability, when we start laying lease lines and running redundant data centers and so forth. Like, it's not hard to burn for a million dollars. It yeah. happens pretty quickly. No, but so I, I, I think that we get to put our little piece in the cloud when we're a startup and get that level of, of, of strength of, you know, implementation, mm-hmm. 
while somebody that big is actually avoiding having to spend all the money <laughs> that they're Well, they have spending. a life cycle issue too, right? Yeah. They've invested $10 million in their current data center. Right. They're not going to throw it out today. No. Right. They're going to wait until that ages till it, it's end of life or something. They'll sell it to iCloud. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So here's my question. During Billy Hollis's awesome 18 minute diatribe tonight, which was great. <laughs> God, I love Billy. Uh, he was talking about, you know, th those of you who love to code, you know, and love and our, our plumbing code is like your value add to your company. Beware. Because what happens when we, there's standardized plumbing code in the cloud and it becomes a commodity and it becomes, you know, maybe even free? Well, it, is I that, would argue this already exists. Uh, you, there is no money in writing load balancing. It's done. Right. There's free infrastructure for that. There's cloud infrastructure for that. There's appliance infrastructure for that. In fact, most organizations, if you even suggested I'll write the load balancer, they'll walk you out of the room. Yeah. It's just like writing your own garbage collector for .NET. It's been done. <laughs> Moving so, on. Right? So what are the not so obvious things that uh, don't exist now as standard plumbing that you might see in the cloud? Identity is evolving to the cloud. There are people that do authorization management where you've got central policy and governance and, you know, you're instead of getting roles and claims and things, you're actually going to, we're going to end up at some point to, to a level where instead you're just asking, here's what I want to access. This is the name of the document. Can I or not? You're going to get a permit or deny yeah. using this exact standard. And we'll get there in like five years. And there's already people that okay. do that today. Um, and people that have it in the cloud, for example. Scheduling, another great cloud app, perhaps. Yeah. You mean I job scheduling or human scheduling? Scheduling manicures? Yeah. <laughs> so scheduling is like uh, Google App Engine already has, you know, they, they introduced cron jobs about three years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, the big one here yeah. now is email. Oh, sure. It's really hard to justify owning email servers anymore. SharePoint. Oh, well, that's. SharePoint in the cloud. Why would I, you know, host that? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Well, and. and Better or worse, Office 365, for all the other things that it's got in there, Exchange in the cloud works. Mm -hmm. And it's very hard. To, I, having bled for Exchange and still bleeding for Exchange, <laughs> you know, exchange, I'm not Nobody afraid. Nobody wants of, to manage that. I'm not afraid of a lot of software. I'm afraid of Exchange, <laughs> you know. But, it, you know, here's a service, per, dollars per mailbox. It's hard to argue with that. Well, it's oh, yeah. the lowest hanging fruit in an enterprise. Yeah. Right. Email is not a strategic differentiator. Nope. Un unless Until you, you don't have it. Unless you right. live in I, you know, Nigeria. And you don't want your IT people running around trying to fix email. I mean, we've all been yeah. in It's a critical service. Where it's, that not was going on. it's not a strategic service. About, same yeah. with telephony. How about basic membership? Like, you know, the membership API. How about if that database just existed in the cloud? We had right. a standard way that users look. Just basic people. Like moving people records to the cloud. Access control, but we've already got, you know, Salesforce.com as identity provider, Google as identity provider, Yahoo, OpenID. So right. what's happening is you're going to find people belong to a store somewhere. Either it's one of the social networking stores and they just want to come to your site and literally don't make me create an account. Like, yeah. let me log in where I want to log in. Yeah. And then you create me a profile. So the profile is the thing that's got to get standardized. That right. would be the other plumbing, right? right. That, that process. That but I really, what I really love about that, people logging in with their Windows Live or their Amazon account or the Yahoo account or Google or whatever, is that 
they're less prone to give those credentials away to other people so that they can scan the system into buying something once and then sharing it. Mm -hmm. um, so I like that, especially when you're talking about selling bits and electrons, you know, which we do. Uh, you know, if somebody has a username and password that will allow them to download something that you sold them, um, you don't want them passing those credentials around. Well, I really like how um, Google Apps will prompt me and I can have it send a code to my phone, right? So you've got multi-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. Really easy to do. And it actually helps ensure that, you know, if somebody got my password, like somebody got into my Twitter account, actually, and started tweeting weird stuff. It wasn't me. Um, I don't tweet, so if somebody else is tweeting for me, I guess. Uh, yeah, so, yep. you know, that's kind of nice. That kind of stuff getting built in across the board would be a beautiful thing. So, so Billy's got a really good point. You know, we should be less concerned about plumbing code as the future marches on and more concerned about good design principles and architecture. But you still need yeah. to understand what the plumbing does, I think. Sure. I would argue that you can't, for example, use federation, security federation, it will probably continue to get easier. Maybe we'll even have a day where it's like a drive. Or someone other than you on the planet understands <laughs> it. Or someone other than me on the planet understands it. And, you know, so I'm still getting a lot of uh, business out of that. But, um, but, you know, it will get easier. But I would argue you still need to understand why do I use that? How do I put that together? So you're, you're learning how to put plumbing together yeah. rather than how to write the plumbing. Why do people write code with, you know, remoting back in the day? Because right. they wanted yeah. to see how it worked instead of doing complex because complex right. was was you know a pretty Black window box. where you dragged and dropped complex and yeah, yeah. i mean it just it's either you know you're, you're you're building it or you're buying it and to buy it you have to understand it yeah all right well i'd like to thank the esteemed panel and thanks to you for coming out tonight thank you I'll see you next time on dotnet rocks thanks for listening and remember pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online, Pluralsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Plop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a talk.